And with all the missions that we do in this church, I thought it would be fitting this morning to, to give you 10 instructions on how to be faithful on the mission field. And this is taken from verse 7 through 13, and just even all this last week and this week talking about Ukraine and talking about uh, talking to the various missionaries um, even around the world and, and organizations such as TMAI and Send International and uh, a few others, and just thanking God that we get to be a part of this mission. And, you know, we don't want to just do this randomly in the way we want to do it in, the, in our way, but we want to do it well. We want to represent the master on mission. We want to represent him well. And so Jesus doesn't just send the missionaries out. He gives them instruction and very, very specific instructions down to the details. And we're going to talk through that. But we have 10 points. And we're going to move through these fairly quickly. But I want you guys to go ahead and uh, take notes because as we go on mission, not only just to San Francisco, but even tomorrow morning as you go into work, just be remembering, uh, keeping these uh, principles in mind as we go on mission. Spurgeon said this, if there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at white heat, it is concerning missions. If, there anything, if there's anything which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to the dying world. That's us. And we got to keep mission before us because it is very easy for all of us, including myself, to be apathetic, to just hear the news and, or, or just see the, the sad state of our workplace or our neighborhood or our family and then just do nothing about it. Now, we know that God is sovereign. We know that there is a place in Scripture where we preach the sovereignty of God in evangelism. We preach predestination, election. We know that God has people marked out. But isn't that uh, even more fuel to go out and say, God has people in this city. He has people in our workplace. He has people in the nations. And when we share the gospel, it will be effective. Not for all, but for some. And it will, it will land on the right soil. And so with confidence, we go into this passage and we start with verse 7. And Jesus, just the first six verses, he modeled what it was like to, to do ministry. In fact, the last six chapters, he was doing all the ministry. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He raised the dead. He preached the gospel faithfully. And now he says, hey, it's your turn. You know, isn't that what church is really about? I mean, we're, we're expositing the scriptures. We're talking about who Jesus is. But then we're saying, hey, tomorrow morning, or in fact, at 1230, it's your turn. And we already do that in one sense. It's how we love one another and we serve one another here and we set up and tear down and we, we greet each other and we, we do practice hospitality and we pray for one another in the services. We're serving all the time, but when we leave here, we've got to be missional focused. We've got to keep people on mission. And I'm proud of this church, really. I mean, the last two years, it's been crazy. In, in fact, the pandemic, if you remember, it started when we got off the airplane from New Orleans in March 2020. And we're two years later. We've, we've had four solid mission trips. If you can make an argument for five, if, we, if you count Tampa and three-day weekend there. But, uh, but it's pretty awesome to be a part of a church that just says, hey, let's just stay on mission. Let's keep everybody on mission. Let's keep everybody focused on what really does matter. We want to see people saved, people uh, transformed by the power of the gospel. 
And so Jesus models this in the first six verses, and then he starts off with verse seven. He summons the 12, and he began to send them in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put two tunics, put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off your soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that men should repent and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And so the first point here is that don't go alone. When we do mission, we do mission as a family, right? That's the wisdom of God. He sends them out two by two. He sends them with uh, companionship, with strength, support, encouragement. In fact, even accountability, right? Protection uh, for you and even for them. Uh, and, and so we got to watch each other swing. I don't know how many times I've been on mission where I, you know, someone shared the gospel and I was maybe praying next to them as they're sharing. And then I give them feedback and they would, and vice versa, right? It even adds an element of protection there as we're uh, sharing the gospel and, and we're saying things and, and, and maybe something uh, comes out wrong and the other person could correct right there, right then and there before they maybe get uh, a false sense of the gospel, maybe not a clear message. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 12 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Right? This is sheer wisdom that Jesus is sending them out. Furthermore, if two lie together, lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him, who is alone? Two can resist him, but a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Now, we often read that at weddings, and there's, there is an illustration aspect to that, with Jesus being the center of that. But this context here is talking about the wisdom of more than one. By you not just going solo. Now, you might ask, well, what about, you know, when I go to work and I share the gospel, should I bring my friend in, you know, <laughs> have him sit next to me in the office? No. Uh, but he's talking about a missionary context when you're going out, when we're going to San Francisco, or you, you don't just like get up one day and say, I'm just going to go to Japan and share the gospel. You know, I just have nothing else to do for a couple of weeks, and so I'll do that. Now, you know, we wouldn't do that. But he, just showing us the wisdom and the strength and the encouragement and the support of doing this together. It is not wise for Christians to go out. I, I've known, hey, I don't need the church. I'm just going to go out and, and share the gospel. And I'm going to go, I'm just going to listen to YouTube videos. I, I, I'm fine. I, I love Jesus. I don't need the church. And, and Jesus basically says, that's sheer folly. In fact, it says here in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Well, you can't do that alone, can you? You're going to talk to yourself. Oh, what a great missionary I am. Not forsaking our own assembling together as in the habit of some. This is happening all the time in the first century and now the 21st. We see it all the time. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
which is judgment. And then also Proverbs 27, 17, you know this one, iron sharpening iron so that one man sharpens another. We need to sharpen each other on the mission field. In fact, you might just say, you know, hey, you know what? I, if you, you, you shared really well. It was great. You, you did a good job, but you totally missed this element. And it's, it, it's not that, you know, that little thing that you missed is, is going to uh, hinder this person who's the elect from going to heaven. No, not at all. But God wants us to, and maybe, in fact, maybe you're discouraged. You walk away saying, man, I, I just, I gave everything. And someone just says, you know what? You did, you did, you did give everything. And the Lord's proud of you. And he judges you based on your faithfulness. So let's go again. We need each other. In fact, I remember a time in Ecuador when uh, I was sick. Uh, and it was, we were six hours away from the city, deep into the jungle, and I remember getting sick. I don't know what, what, what it was. I, I, a little later, I found out it was, it was overhydration. <laughs> I was just drinking. I wouldn't really eat much. And it's maybe something else. I really don't know what it was, but I just, I couldn't really move. I just felt just exhausted, sheer exhaustion. And it's never had that before uh, like that. And uh, I, I went back to my, I wouldn't even say bedroom. <laughs> it, was, it was to my hammock. <laughs> And where I was going to sleep for the night. Um, and there's all these massive spiders, uh, big as the eye can see. I just, I, I could not even, I wouldn't bring anybody there, no, <laughs> today. Hearing monkeys in the background and uh, <laughs> hearing stories that there'd be anacondas <laughs> in villages nearby. Um, but I just remember this, that, that there are two people who came back to, to my room and just said, hey, you know what, we're with you. And it is all I needed, just to know that I wasn't abandoned, like, hey, you know, we're all here watching the, the Jesus film, sharing the gospel in this village, and I'm just sitting there thinking, and I'm the, kind of the team leader. And, and they come, and they, too, it's just, it's just kind of like the picture of, uh, you know, when, when Moses was losing strength, and they, uh, Aaron and her lift up the, the, Moses' arms to complete and win the battle. And I just, I felt that. I felt that encouragement of people just coming nearby and saying, John, hey, look, you didn't, you didn't know this was going to happen. We're with you. We're praying for you. Um, if I'd have done that alone, I'd had nobody, right? And just having the church there to strengthen, and the next day was a new day. And so uh, I, I remember also a time uh, in Colombia, just during our team times, how powerful. That's why we do those team times uh, we're going we're gonna to have a, a few days. We're not going to do all, all the days in San Francisco, maybe like you're used to every day. But we'll have a little touch point. But the first four days, we'll get filled up. We'll pray for one another. We'll have extended worship times because that is so important to the mission field. You might think, well, we got to start at 8 a.m., man. We got to go eat breakfast. We don't even need to eat breakfast. We just got to be machines and go and share. No, we need to be filled up. We need one another. We need to be sharpened by each other. And I remember in Colombia, a father coming up to me and I just was in tears. Just weep. I just needed this encouragement. We had just gotten off the plane uh, from, from Belgium. And I think, of, like, I don't know, it was about a week later, I got on another plane to, to, uh, to, to Colombia. And, and we're, man, we're, we're at it. You know? And I just, like, where even am I right now? You know, Europe to back to North America, down to South America. And uh, this, this father was just praying for me and I uh, just felt so encouraged. And I was only there for three days, but... We just need the body when we're on mission. We need one another. 
When I, but I will say this as a, before we transition, I've also seen the opposite, that when people isolate themselves on mission, they, they never come back. I've seen people just, you know, the guy in the back, you know, just isolating, they're on the trip, they're kind of by themselves, they just came for the experience, they, they don't need the church. I, know, I never see them again. Because the, that's what the enemy wants to do is isolate people even on the mission field. And so I would encourage you even on this trip and in, in, in subsequent trips, trips to, to overseas or wherever we go, lean in on the mission field. Lean into one another. And Deuteronomy 19.15 says this, the message and the testimony will be confirmed by two or three witnesses. This is an Old Testament concept that Jesus is bringing back saying, look, what one proclaimed, the other testifies. We need each other on mission. Point number two is, and this is also from verse seven, don't go without authority, the authority of Christ. You might have all the education, you might have the experience, you might have the training, but if Christ doesn't send you, you're illegitimate. You have to go with the authority of Christ. And all of us have that, right? In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go make disciples. The authority that's been given to me, I give to you. And so a lot of times when someone says, hey, you don't have any right talking to strangers. You ever get that? Maybe from your family? What do you think you're doing? You could just go prance around town and just tell people to be saved and to proselytize them. I mean, you you proselytize them. You can't do that. Yes, we can. Why? Because Christ tells us to do it. All authority that has been given to me heaven and earth, I now give to you. Now, we don't do that arrogantly. We don't do that pridefully. We do that humbly because it's not our authority. But just think of the empowerment that we have that comes, that backs us up on any trip we go on. Not just a trip, but even just tomorrow morning in the workplace. You have absolute authority to tell your neighbor they must come to Christ. They must be born again. And you might think, well, who told you that? What gives you that right? We live, we live in a pluralistic society. Whatever you, know, whatever you want to believe, you believe. No, we've been given authority to tell them they must repent. Mark 3, 13 to 15 says this. When he went up the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, they came to him. We read this a few months ago, and he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him. That's key. We must be with Christ and that he could then send us out. No, he had that in mind when he picked them. And now comes the time that they must go out. But in his power, in his power, they must be sent. In fact, it says, Romans uh, 10, 9 uh, through 15. I'm not gonna read all of it, but I'll just read a portion here. It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? You're the preachers. And as preachers, we must be sent. We must be sent. Because you can see that this gives us incredible confidence as we go out. You want to go out with incredible confidence. You want to go out knowing that Christ has given you authority to do this. You might just say, why missions? What gives us the right to do what we do? Christ. 
That's all we need. And he told us to do this. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses around the world. Around the world. And I know people, it's amazing. Every time I preach, I just have voices in my head from the past. You know, there's so much need in Oviedo. Why don't you just stay here? Because Christ told us to go over there. Well, hey man, why don't we just keep going overseas? That's where the greatest need, that's the unreached, the unreached, the unreached. Well, because Christ said, we must stay here. (laughs) He's given us authority. The whole planet is his. And eventually it will be all of ours, right? Number three and this is also from verse 7, but also even in verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. And so the third point is that don't muddle the message. Don't muddle the message. We must have a clear gospel. God has called us to be clear. They, they want, I'll tell you, nobody gets saved without a clear message, okay? You guys just say, well, God will kind of figure it out. No, 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 no. It is very clear. We must preach Christ and him crucified. But why did Christ get crucified? For your sin. What happens when you believe in him? You'll be forgiven. What happens when you're forgiven? You're his, you're a son and daughter. What does that mean? That means when you die, you'll be with him for all of eternity. We must have a clear message. It must be clear. I remember when DC, in DC, uh, many of our people were scolded for preaching a clear message. You too will always be scolded for that because it was a little too much, even for the supposed Christian. They thought it would be better just to pray for them, to water it down because, you know, culture is just so different. No, no one gets saved without a clear gospel message. That's why you must be studying, preparing. This is exactly what Jesus did for the, for the first six weeks, Right? Or not six weeks, six chapters. <laughs> but he, he, he can't, it's been more than that. Hadn't it? been, we started this thing in August, end of August, I think. So, but he modeled it so well, didn't he? He modeled what it looked like. He, he taught us about something about God. He told us about who he is and why he came. He taught us something about the Holy Spirit. He taught us something about sin. He taught us something about death. He taught us something about fear. He taught us so many things. What do you need to be doing Monday through Saturday. Reading the scriptures. You can't just rely on Sunday morning one hour. Look, there's 168 hours during the week. You think you're going to be a great missionary by one hour out of 168? No, you've got to listen to good messages throughout the week. You've got to listen. You've got to read the scriptures, study the word, buy a study Bible, a good one, and study for yourself. 2 Timothy 2, 15, right? Be not ashamed. Be a workman not ashamed. Well, how, how do you do that? By handling the word of truth. You gotta handle the word of God correctly. Not to impress people when we go out two by two. Look at how much I know. That won't get you anywhere. Because we don't go in our own strength. We go in his strength. In verse 12, it's very clear that they were to preach repentance, a change of mind, direction. It's not just some sort of cerebral belief in Christ. That's not what we're preaching. Oh, just believe, although the scriptures say believe, right? But we understand it's repent and believe, be baptized. In other words, in front of all your neighbors, this is going to cost you something. 
You, 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 if you're ashamed of me here on earth, you're gonna be, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven, he says. I remember being on a prayer walk with my family, with our kids, and we were just talking about different ways in which they were not listening, which is, you know, sometimes the case. Um, no, it's all the case. <laughs> but even with them, as we we're talking about just the different things that maybe were disobedience, and, and even in mom and dad, and we're just saying, you know, this is the things that we're doing, and this is the things that doesn't please God, and we're walking walking one direction. We just felt like the Holy Spirit said, walk in the other direction. Make a 180. Go this direction. You know, you're going this direction. Say, yeah, we get angry at each other. We get frustrated at each other, you know, whatever. But this is what repentance looks like. We're loving one another. We're humble. You know, it's, it's, that's what repentance looks like. It's turning the other way and walking in the opposite direction, Right? That is what it means to repent. So when you're talking to somebody about repentance, you have to understand that you're, you're, you're helping them see that it's not just a cerebral belief. It's not just, yeah, I believe that there's a God and there's a Jesus. But that the fruit of repentance is obedience. The fruit of repentance is love. The fruit of repentance is renouncing all the other gods. It's turning away from evil, from Satan, from the things of the world and turning to Christ and the things of God. They have to know that. Jesus was very clear. You need to preach repentance. That is part of it. You're like, well, repentance is works. Is it works? Do you turn the other way in order to get favor with God? It is works if you preach it that way. But that if you do believe, if you are regenerated, if you are indeed born again, if God has transformed your heart, if Ezekiel 36 truly did happen to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, then you will have repentance on your life. You will look like this. This is what you'll look like. Take him to 1 John. Say, do you love your brother? Well, then you're saved. No, I hate my brother. Well, then you're not saved. Repent from that. Turn from that. I don't want to. You see what I'm saying? You have to have a conversation with them. The, the gospel and the message of Christ must be clear. It must be clear. It can't be a wishy-washy, just believe and, and whatnot. No, it comes with repentance. In order to be saved, you must have the fruit of repentance. And also, not only that, but you're giving hope. You're pronouncing that when they believe there's forgiveness of sins, true, true faith will produce repentance. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you. We're pleading with people, be born again. We beg on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. They must see that compassion and love and, and, and we're, we're pleading with people to be born again. But then we're also at the same time showing how they can be born again. That is the power of the Spirit in John 3, right? Isn't it? He's sovereign in the act of salvation. That is important. We must know these terms, redemption, adoption, justification, regeneration. This is our domain, 
This isn't just a theologian's domain. This is our domain. This is a believer's domain. You are adopted. You are justified. You're like, yeah, I am. And then when someone asks you, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't really know what that means. It's just some theological term theologians know. What a wonderful thing to be justified. What a wonderful thing for God to say, you're righteous in my sight. Well, how's that, Lord? Because of what Christ did, has done in your place. Substitute. Substitutionary atonement. That isn't a big word, but that is in our domain too. We must know what those things are as we go out and share the gospel with people. A clear gospel message. Number four, don't go without compassion. Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits and healed the sick. Now, maybe what you're thinking, well, we don't really do that. Now, look, if somebody is ill or somebody is hurting, we pray for them. We may not have the gift of healing, but we do pray for them. We, we are compassionate towards them. Prayer is for today. While, yes, we know and understand that throughout the scriptures, it is very clear that these, these healings and signs and wonders and, and miraculous gifts were given to authenticate the message. What do we really go out with? We go out with authority of Christ in the gospel message. We go out with the word of God that has been authenticated 2,000 years ago. In fact, here, if you need a few, I'll just rattle off a few scriptures just to help with that. Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 4, 5, that Moses' miracles, it says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Even in the Old Testament, it was, it was, it was very clear that Moses' You remember what they were? Remember the leprosy puts his hand in, in and, and takes it out and the, the stick turns into a snake and picks it up. Those miracles were to testify that God is real. That his word is real. What do we go in the power of? The word. I've had so many people tell me, well, look, I mean, just as in the first century, they didn't believe without miracles and they're not gonna believe today. I will prove you wrong every time. Why do I know that? We just, we just witnessed page after page in the gospels and how Jesus did miracles and he walked away. He just, in fact, just this, this last chapter or these last six verses, what did he do? He could do no more. He couldn't do miracles anymore. It's not that he couldn't do them. He's God. He could do it all the time. He didn't want to because of their unbelief. Miracles never saves anybody, but the word of God does. That's what we go in. We go in the power of the word. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. It was confirmed. The Lord was confirmed. The word of God is confirmed. Nicodemus even said in John 3, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. Why? Because no one else could do these signs but God. And we know you come from God. And so time after, I mean, John 5, John 10, 2 Corinthians 12 even says this, that the signs of the true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. The prophet, I mean, the, the, not only Jesus and his apostles, but also uh, it says here, Paul even said, this is how the word of God is confirmed by the miracles. And now we have the canon of scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what? For teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, for preaching the gospel so that men 
may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And these miracles and healings, by way of this point, as I said, don't go without compassion. The reason why also God did these miracles and these healings and, 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 and rescued them from darkness and evil and demonic forces is because he is a compassionate God. He is a compassionate God. Psalm 69, 33, for the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his who are prisoners. Not only that, but Isaiah 41, 17, the afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. God is a compassionate God, and when we go out and represent him, we must represent him as the compassionate one. And that in Spurgeon even says, through tears, love your fellow men and cry about them if you cannot bring them to Christ. If you cannot save them, you, you can weep over them. If you cannot give them a drop of cold water in hell, you can give them your heart's tears while they're still in the body. There's something we can do. We can show incredible compassion for those people who are lost. Don't go without, don't go on mission without compassion. We must be compassionate people. In fact, Paul said even, we prove to be gentle among you, he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an infection for you, we're well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but our very lives. Don't just go out with some message. Hey, just believe, believe, believe. This is the message. and be It is the message that saves. But God uses you as the messenger of compassion. Do it with a smile on your face. Do it with joy. When we go to San Francisco, it will be hard. And, you know, anywhere in the United States is getting harder. It's getting very hard on campus, guys. Very difficult. And I'll tell you, if God doesn't give us compassion, we're going to go out with joyless, grumbling and complaining, That doesn't represent him well. We must go out with love. He came as a father to his own children, exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would. That's how Paul came. That is exactly how we are to go out as a nursing mother, as a father who has love for God's people, whether they be future God's people. Maybe they're not God's people even then. And even more so to love our enemies. Jesus rebuked those without compassion. Matthew 23, 2 and 4. Listen to the, what the scribes and Pharisees were like. Don't be like them. I mean, that's Jesus' message to us. The scribes and Pharisees, they have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they, do all that they tell you to do, but don't do what they do. Don't do their deeds, he's saying. Don't be like them. They're unwilling to move and, and, and be compassionate with those who have heavy burdens. Number five, and this is from verses eight and nine, he instructed them not to take anything with them for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, and to wear sandals. And he added, don't put on two tunics. One is fine, one's enough. And so he says in verse eight and nine, this is, this is uh, point number five, is don't depend on your own resources. Don't depend on your own resources. 
Now, what is he saying here about a staff? Because in other parts, he says you can take one. Many scholars believe that you could take the walking staff, but you can't take the rod, which then would be a form of self-defense. And now we'll get to that in a moment. Jesus does believe in self-defense, but in this context, he just tells them, just take the walking stick. Now, you have to understand that what is he actually saying? Are these things prescriptive or descriptive? Are these just merely telling us how they did things for that time, for that moment? Or are they prescriptive for all of us to do? Are we to walk around with with gowns and sandals as we go to campus? When's the last time you walked around with a walking stick? On campus. That's a little awkward as you go into Barnes and Noble with a stick and sandals on and a big white robe. What are you here for? (laughs) I'm here to give you a message. (laughs) they'll call security by the way i'm sure but there is an urgency in other words jesus is saying be careful of the excess be willing to go Uh, be careful of the clutter don't take the extras take everything but your toothpaste and your toothbrush if you you know just go Uh, the, the point is go there's an urgency right now that's the point of this verse Matthew 6, 31 to 33, do not worry what you'll eat or what you'll drink, right? He's going to provide everything that you need, right? For the Gentiles are the ones who worry about these things. They bring the extras. They're the ones that hoard. They do that. Why? Because they don't trust God. There are, I'm going to show you a verse here. These were temporary instructions I want to show you that there is a time where Jesus, uh, later on in Luke 22, he switches some things up. That's why it's important not just to hone in on this. We can't take any money. We, we, we can't take a, a bag. We can't, no backpacks. No, I mean, no, he's not saying that. That was for the time. There was an urgency. He didn't want them to be cluttered. And so what does he say in Luke 22? Listen to this. In fact, he might be even referring to this context right here. He says to them, in uh, Luke 22, verse 35, when I sent you out without money, without a money belt and bag and sandals, did you, did you lack anything? They said, no, nothing. We were, we were fine. And he said to them, but now whoever has money belt is to take it along. Interesting. This is right before he died or was betrayed. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever ha- has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Oh, he's, hey, forget the, the rod. We're giving you a little upgrade. We're going to get you a sword here. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. It is enough. Jesus wasn't looking for violent missionaries. Okay, what he was showing them, there's a, there's, a, there's a time and a place for these things. They're not meant to be prescriptive. It meant to be descriptive, right? And so I, I also think it's interesting is what maybe people might ask, it's just a little caveat, might someone say, well, why did Jesus, I mean, isn't Jesus, you know, meek and mild, isn't he, you know, why, why would he tell his, his guys to bring a sword? Well, it's dark times. He's about to get betrayed, taken into prison with guys with clubs. He's just saying, look, 
use this in self-defense. That is what the weapon is for. You don't go around and wield the sword to try to get people to come to Christ, by no means, no. But not only that, but we don't, we don't cut people's ears off. Right? Do you remember when that happened? And you might be saying, well, Jesus gave them the sword anyways. For defense, not for offense. There were many robbers during that time hiding in the rocks as they were going to different places. It was just meant to be used as, as maybe even today, a weapon today would be used is just a sense of, hey, don't mess with me. I'm just trying to go to the store here. You know, I'm trying to get to my aunt and uncle on the other side for a holiday. Just leave me alone. It's just meant to be, hey, move, move, step aside. I'm not going to use it against you unless I have to, right? But either way, Jesus is just telling them something in which works in the context. And so you got to look at your context and the mission field. It it would be foolish to say, hey, you know, as you're going to the other side of the John, we brought a bunch of cliff bars and more water than we needed and and, and et cetera. It'd be like, well, you know, we're just going to rely on it. And if God's telling you that, if that's that's the the case, and maybe maybe you don't have the food, maybe you don't have the means, and, and now you have to rely on God and he will provide what you, what you need. And so how do we depend on God today? This is not a call to asceticism. This is not a call to some easy life. That's not what Jesus was trying to say. This is not some sort of strict pattern for evangelism. You got to take the heart, the gist of it. It was to travel light. It was to rely on him. Uh, it was to be free of distraction and clutter. It, was a, it wasn't to hoard so that now we're relying on ourselves rather than God. And I would say just this one little thing here too. Don't be so overburdened by all your materials that you can't hear God say, go overseas long-term. Settle your debts. Make sure you're prepared because God might be calling you to the mission field long-term. And he wants you to be prepared. Declutter your life now to prepare for perhaps that time. I would imagine so many missionaries are stuck because they have so much. And that's a sad thing. Verse 10 here, it says, And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. So number six is don't be discontent. Don't be discontent. They were known, missionaries were known at the time, I, I could imagine when the word gets out, they were known for their miraculous power. And so what did people do? They said, he said, look, if you go to a house, you stay there. Now, what, what would happen maybe? Another offer would come in. They come to a, like a little dingy house, you know, maybe a little smaller house, a little shack type house. And maybe they just get a few, you know, cheese and crackers or whatever. And then all of a sudden it said, hey, you could come to our house and, and we, we got a mansion. We got a pool in the backyard. We got, I mean, we got a full spread and we, we, we got taco bar and we got all this other stuff and we, we'll pay you well. You just come to our house and, and do ministry here. Jesus says, don't do that. That'll ruin your mission. That'll ruin your witness. Let your yes be yes, it says in Matthew 5, and let your no be no. In Matthew 10, 8 and 9, it says, freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper. In other words, missionaries can't be manipulated or bought. When we're on the mission field, maybe that doesn't happen here in the States, but when we go overseas, I'll tell you that can happen easily. Oh, the Americans are here. Well, let's buy them. I know what they like. They like comforts. 
And maybe, maybe some of the places we went, Europe and some of those places and, and in South America, maybe those are not too bad, but maybe as we go to maybe other places that you could be easily manipulated, right? Don't, in, other, in other words, Jesus was saying this, don't be like those traveling false teachers. Be careful. Be careful of your motives when you go on mission. Why are you there? You know, it says in 2 Timothy 3, 6, it says, for, for among them are those who enter into households and, and, and captivate weak women weighed down by, with sins and led by various impulses. In 1 Timothy 6, 5 to 10, it says, constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanying with contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so that so we can take nothing out of it either. So don't love money. Don't go onto the mission field uh, for, for, for that kind of treatment, you know, especially as Americans. I think that's even, uh, even more so for us. We have, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be what? Content. But, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and the snare and marry, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Listen, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And by some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They were to stay at one house. They were to be content. They were to be content with whatever was put before them as a meal, whatever they, wherever they laid their head, whether it was on the floor or whatever condition they were in, not saying, hey, Maybe we should leave here, go to the nearest hotel, try to check in there, live a little bit more comfortable and and do our mission work. This isn't also a vacation. When you go on mission, we're not just like, hey, I want to go see the Golden Gate Bridge. I've always wanted to see that. You can Google that. (laughs) We'll send you a picture. Just send me the money. (laughs) But this isn't a social trip. This isn't like we're gallivanting all around, you know, wherever we might go, right? It's not just another stamp in the passport, is it? You see what Jesus is saying? Make sure that your motive is pure on mission. Be content. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I might speak from one. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and go hung, going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you find yourself in that crazy circumstance where it's not posh and it's not nice, maybe as you'd like or maybe as, it, as was offered, you say, you know what, Lord? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you might find yourself there at some point. Number seven, don't be ignorant of rejection. In verse 11, it says this, any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off your soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Don't be ignorant of rejection. Know that you will be rejected. Know that if they hated Jesus, they'll hate us. John 15. And this was a Jewish way of showing contempt to the Gentiles. 
Basically, as, they, as Jews would go into Gentile territory, they would go into the, that territory, and you know, they'd pick up some dust. And as a way of showing contempt on the, the Gentile nation, they would shake the dust off their sandals, as it was saying, let, let judgment happen here, as they would go back into their Jewish territory, right? I mean, that's a it's pretty harsh. I don't think that's, we're not, we're not doing that because of their, of their race or their culture by any means. No, it's only at the rejection of the gospel. We're to love all people, right? But th- what he's saying here, understand that you're going to be rejected. And when you do, you have to have an understanding of what's going on. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the Lord. Do you remember when Paul was knocked off his horse? Where was he going? He's going to persecute. He's going to kill people. He's going to put them in prison. And Jesus is saying, why are you persecuting who? Me. What was he saying? When you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. That's a pretty big deal. But it's also a reminder, isn't it? That they're not rejecting us ultimately. We're messengers. We're sent ones. But they're rejecting our Lord. And that should even grieve us more right? That's not by way of saying, oh, don't worry about it. You know, hey, you're good. No, no, they're rejecting your Lord, our Lord. That's a pretty big deal, and we should feel that, but we shouldn't be ignorant of it. Matthew 10, 11 through 15, this is added to that. It's the same context in the synoptic gospel account. It says, whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. Same instructions. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, if they reject, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heeds your words as you go out of that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, and this is the addition, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what happened in Luke 9, or, uh, Leviticus, Genesis, sorry, 19. That was, that whole city got fire and brimstone. There's hardly anything left of it. It says it's actually, that city, and you could say the case for San Francisco, you could say the case for our own city. I mean, for that person, ultimately, it's not material, like buildings and et cetera, but it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah for them, but for than for them. I mean, that's mind-blowing because they have so much. In Genesis 9, I mean, the, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have the gospel. They didn't have Christians walking around with salt and light. They didn't have that. In other words, when anybody stands before Christ, even in this day, there won't be an excuse for why not to believe. Number eight, also in verse 11, but number eight, don't be ignorant of the consequences for rejecting the gospel. It's Luke 12, 47 to 48, and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but few from everyone who, who has been given much will be required, or much will be required, and to whom they have entrusted much of him, 
they will ask all the more. In other words, what is Jesus saying? There is various degrees of hell. Various degrees. It's dependent on how much you know. If you know so much and have rejected so much, there's more severe penalty for that. And we should not be ignorant of those things. It is not just, oh, you know, hey, bless you and see you later. You know, as we're, if someone rejects us, but we're grieved. We understand exactly what happens if that person were to remain in that state. We're wise. We're understanding. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 can be more clear. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. For, uh, for 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 9, this is why uh, annihilation, the doctrine of annihilation, it isn't a doctrine. It's a false doctrine. It's, it's hell for those who do not believe. It is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to those who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That couldn't be more clear. We do not, we are not ignorant of that. In fact, if someone even asks us, what happens when, if I don't believe? You know, sometimes we weaken it by saying, well, you'll spend, a, you know, eternity apart from God. You know, they don't even love God. Why would they even want to, that doesn't mean anything. They think they're just going to hang out with their friends all for eternity. But you must tell them what actually happens. And I think it's our duty to do that. We cannot be ignorant of the consequences of rejecting Christ. Hebrews 10, 29, how much, more, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. Thousands appear to suppose that so long as they go to church and do not murder or steal or cheat or openly break any of God's commandments, that they are no greater in danger. We hear this all the time, don't we? I don't steal. I don't cheat. I mean, I'm not really not that bad. And I'll tell you, you know, sometimes that's convincing, right? You're in there, you're like, well, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll, you just, you're going to compromise. You're going to compromise. It's so easy to do that. It says here, they forget that it needs something more than the mere abstinence from outward irregularities to save a man's soul. They do not see that the one of the greatest sins a man can commit in the sight of God is to hear the gospel of Christ and not believe it. A man can commit in the sight of God, is to, or, I'm sorry, to be invited in uh, and to repent and to believe and yet remain careless and unbelieving. In short, to reject the gospel will sink a man to the lowest place in hell we are far more guilty than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They never heard the gospel and therefore they have never rejected it. But as for us, we hear the gospel and yet we do not believe. May we search our own hearts and may we take heed that we do not ruin our own souls. I would even ask you, I would even insert another point. Make sure that you believe the gospel. Make sure that you believe what the scriptures say. Make sure that you go out with confidence. Number nine, don't be ignorant of discernment. We must respond the way Christ did. What did he do in chapter six, the first part of it, first six verses? He left. He left. 
He didn't fight people. We are not to fight them. We're to fight for them. We're to plead with them. We're to, we're, we're to implore them to come to Christ, to be reconciled. We're, we're to have compassion with tears in our eyes. We're to say, come, please. We, you, you must know what will happen to you if you stay in this state of unbelief. That's fighting for them, but we're not fighting with them. We're not arguing with them. Jesus didn't do that. He said, I can no longer do miracles here. Why? Because of unbelief. You know, it says in Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Do not throw what is to your pearls before swine or they will trample them under feet and turn them and tear you to pieces. You're not to throw precious pearls to those who are violent with us in their speech, who argue with us. We are not to give them the time of day. Why? Because they'll just trample us. Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says, and I think this is very important to see the difference between fearless perseverance and uh, a sense of foolish persistence. I think this is really wise words because I think some people get caught up into this on the mission field. They stay a little too long when they should leave, and sometimes they leave and they should stay and persevere a little longer. And I'll tell you, we need great discernment, church. We need discernment when we're on the mission field. This is what he says. Later in the New Testament period, the, earlier church, the early church learned from Jesus' example. It kept a proper balance between fearless perseverance and foolish persistence. They left the city which did not welcome them. They had a sense of urgency. This was not the time to be persevering with hard-hearted people. There is a balance. We, do, we need the disciples' flexibility. We need to be on the go. We need to be looking. Okay, when, it's, when, when someone rejects us, we need to move on to the next city. Why? Because there's others who need to hear and there's others that God has marked out for salvation. We don't want to be complacent and just say this is what we've always done. We always just fight, fight, fight. But sometimes it's, we're called to leave and go to the next town, another part of the city, even in Oviedo, another section of San Francisco. Wouldn't it be a waste to stay in one section? We're just going to plow. We're going to do this in the name of perseverance. When God's saying, just go to the next section of town because I have people there. We need to use our resources wisely. We need to be wise. We're only there for a small part, portion of time, right? Just eight or nine days. When we go overseas, we spend all that money and resources. We need to use them wisely. We need discernment. Do not go on the mission field without discernment. Number 10, don't finish the task. That would be a tragedy to not finish, to not go all the way, to not come back to Christ, to not come back to the huddle at night and, and, and to, to say, okay, what went well? What didn't go well? Look at verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm moving to the end of the chapter here. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. Isn't that beautiful? Don't we all need rest after a mission trip? Isn't, isn't it great that Jesus even makes room for that? It says, rest, way to go. But even before that, come and let's, let, I wanna hear the report. Let's talk, let's encourage one another. Let's give each other feedback. Let's share testimonies. That's why we set up 
our mission day every day like that. We have morning time. We go out in the afternoon and the early evening. We eat dinner together. And then at the end, we come back and we share. We give each other feedback. Isn't that great? You know what else? 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must be faithful because we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one might be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're going to be judged on our faithfulness on the mission field. We're going to be judged on our faithfulness in our own backyard, good and bad. And we, we need to know that uh, now before we even go out, counting that cost. Look, what he's also saying is, don't just come along for the trip. This is serious business. The Lord himself is sending you out on mission. And he gives us clear instructions. In fact, 10 of them. And he wants us to go with family. Just by way of review, he wants us to go with family. He wants us to be sent with authority. He wants to be clear. He wants us to be clear with the gospel. No one is saved without a clear message. Number four, he wants us to be compassionate. He wants us to rely on God. He wants us to be content wherever we might find ourselves on the field. He wants us to, number seven, accept rejection, endure persecution. He wants us, number eight, to, re- to remember the consequences for rejecting the gospel, that these are dire circumstances. This is serious stuff for those who say no to him. And we must know the truth and tell them the truth. Number nine, we must have discernment. And number 10, let's finish the task and then rest. Amen? That's what God's called us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for not just abandoning us, not just saying, go on mission and then let us figure it out. I think we could say it is so clear how we're to be sent. It is so clear how we're to do missions. We thank you for those instructions. And we thank you that you even say in Matthew 28 that not only are you've sent us out with all authority to make disciples, but you said you'll be with us to the very end of age. You're with us on mission. You've given us a family to run with. You've given us a glorious, amazing message of truth that does save people. And Father, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would come back to you and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? Where, where did we go wrong? Where, did, where do we have the wrong motives? Where did we not give feedback where we need to give feedback? Where do we not encourage? Where do we not speak the truth? Where do we believe lies? And I thank you, Lord, that we, uh, you will give us that answer through the amazing leaders and body that we do here, sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron. Father, thank you for all those things. And I thank you that you add just one more thing. We're to rest and to be filled up again so that we might not go out in the mission field exhausted, but ready, 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 ready to go to exhaust ourselves for another round and then only then to be filled up again by you and to do it all over again. And Father, I thank you for this church, this family that it just from the very beginning has said yes to going and what a privilege it is to pastor these guys and to say, hey, let's go. Whether we pray, give and go, we're gonna be a part of the mission that God's called us to. And may we continue to do that with faithfulness because we know that one day we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive everything, whether the good and the bad. And Father, I pray that we would be found faithful and that we would hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter your true eternal rest forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet and worship him.